If you have a Bible, go ahead and grab it. We're going to be in John chapter 2. Um, this morning, we're coming to a close in chapter 2. It's been uh, 11 weeks now in our series through the Gospel of John. And, and, and I don't know about for you, but for me, uh, one of the uh, things for me, I, I knew that uh, John would be deeply theological. I, I was very eager for that. Uh, it, just even as we got into the prologue uh, of the beginning of our series, just loving how much it deeply and richly shared about who Jesus is. But then also one of the things that I just kind of put as like a, a side note, a sticky note off to the side in my mind was uh, the, the evangelism piece. And yet deeply and richly week after week after week, there's just been such truth that, that points to uh, the gospel. And, and we know that's true of the Bible, but it was just kind of something that in my mind I thought, uh, this, this is touched on here and here, but it's deeply intentional um, because this is in fact the, the purpose of, of John's letter, that people would understand and know who Jesus is that they may believe. And so now as we're uh, nearing the end of chapter 2, we'll close out chapter 2 today. We've been looking at the first of Jesus' signs in his public ministry. And last week we saw a sign of promise, more than a sign of physical evidence or a miracle. And this week we come to the text that it is a little more unsettling. That what we're looking at is, not, is, that, is that not all who believe have real and genuine faith. And so as we go to look at our text, what we're really going to see is the true character of Jesus up against those who just want to get close to his benefits. They really just want to get close to the benefits of his physical ministry, but they do not actually want to be close to Jesus. And that's an important distinction because Jesus did not come. He did not live and give his life for us so that we would just get the benefits of his ministry, but that we may believe that we would have a genuine faith in him and that by believing we would have life in his name. And so if you remember, this is the purpose of John's gospel letter that we see in John chapter 20, verse 31. And we also saw it in the video behind us that we've been looking at that week after week as we begin that John really writes that we may believe. And so this is why uh, not trying to uh, approach it from any cleverness on my own, but really out of the word itself, this is where we get our title, that you may believe. This is the, the heart of John's letter. And so as we come to a close in chapter 2 today, we are faced with an important question as we come to the text. A really important question that's asked in here that is, what is true belief? What is true and genuine saving belief? And so we're going to read in John chapter 2, starting in verse 23. Now, when he was in Jerusalem at the Passover feast, many believed in his name when they saw the signs that he was doing. But Jesus, on his part, did not entrust himself to them because he knew all people and needed no one to bear witness about man, for he himself knew what was in man. We pray with me. Heavenly Father, this morning we come before you and God, we thank you for your word. We thank you for its truth. And God, I pray that as we 
dig into your word, that you would continue to reveal to us what genuine faith is. That we would look to Jesus Christ. That we would come to Jesus Christ. God, I pray that for those of us in this room specifically, here right now, God, I pray that you would challenge us with your word. That you would point us toward the truth. Would you point us toward yourself? So God, we love you and we thank you for this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So as we dive into these three verses, what I want to point out in these verses are, are, is that it's, it's not a conversation or a, or a discourse from Jesus. These are written through the inspiration and the direction of the Holy Spirit by the Apostle Paul. And he is really speaking to make a clear distinction between belief that is just surface level, just expression, and true belief that leads to true confession. And so this is important both for our study and our understanding of some critical biblical doctrines regarding salvation and belief. And so John is addressing what true belief is, and this is what we will see and really what I believe is be challenged by in the text. And so as we dive in this morning, what we're going to really unpack and learn from our text is that true belief goes beyond sight where we fully trust in Christ and confess that he is Lord. If you're taking notes, those are your fill-in-the-blanks this morning, that true belief goes beyond sight, where we fully trust in Christ and confess that he is Lord. Now, see, one of the things that is valuable as we begin to look at the text is the context of the environment that Jesus is in, as John writes. At the beginning of verse 23, we read that he, being Jesus, was in Jerusalem at the Passover feast. Now, we talked a little bit about this last week in our text, but what we need to remember is that in ancient Jewish culture, Passover was a big deal. Passover was a big deal. Passover is one of the three pilgrimage festivals in Scripture during which the Jews were commanded to travel to Jerusalem and observe the the feasts together. And so Jerusalem, Jerusalem would have been crowded with thousands of visitors coming to the Passover feast. And so you've got lots of people, lots of people, you've got a big event, and then also what we see in the text is you have belief. In verse 23, we read that many believed in his name. Now in biblical times, the name, when it says they believed in his name, this really summed up a person's character and their activity and place in God's purpose. And so here, when it says that many believed in his name, it is referring to the fact that they are believing details that are true about Jesus. And so obviously from this, when we read, the question comes up is, why is this belief an issue? Why is this belief then an issue? I mean, don't we believe in the name of Jesus? And the answer is yes, but, but true belief goes beyond knowing what is true about Jesus. It's going beyond what is seen and understood and felt. And so the difference is there may be belief that knows a lot about Jesus, but doesn't truly know Jesus. 
And so let me give you an example of this in my own life, uh, kind of an illustration that may help us. Um, back in my uh, days of playing music and, and, and being in bands, when I was 14, I was a drummer for a band that had an opportunity to record an album in Seattle at Studio X. Now, Studio X was a, a big deal. I was 14, the guys were older, and uh, this was Pearl Jam's main studio in Seattle. And I remember tracking about 13 songs in less than two days, very tiring, very, very tiring. And, and so after I'm sitting in the recording booth and, and just kind of uh, sitting with the main engineer and in walks a guy to get his master tapes for his album. I got to talk with him, really, really nice guy, interact about music and all these things. And then he left and the audio engineer looked at me and just kind of laughed and asked, do you even know who that was? Do you even realize who that was? And, and of course, tired and 14, I'm going, no, I, I don't know who that was. Who? And he said, that was Chris Cornell. That was the lead singer of, of Soundgarden and Audio Slave. And, and here's what's funny. I, I was a huge Audio Slave fan. And, and I listened to their music all the time. I had heard all the lyrics. I drummed along to it. And, and so here's the detail. I, I had seen and I, I was interested in and I interacted with the vocalist and I totally missed who it really was. I had these great interactions and experiences, but I completely missed who it really was. So I knew a lot about Chris, but I didn't have any real relationship with Chris. And see, that's the key difference in the text here, that the belief of those mentioned here remains absolutely superficial, that they come to it only because they have seen signs Jesus performed. And so there's realization, but not real relationship. And so in verse 23, we also read, as John writes, that many believed in his name when. Now here's a, here's a detail. See, there's a condition to this belief. It's that many believed in his name when they saw the signs that he was doing. So here's the first issue we come across that John is going to begin to really expose in his writing. It's that not all belief is true saving belief. That not all belief is true saving belief. That they believe because of what they saw, but true belief goes beyond sight. But, but still, can you imagine what it would have been like to experience Jesus' signs? How incredible this would have been to see Jesus and his disciples and their interactions and the miracles that Jesus is doing. This would have been absolutely an incredible experience. It would have been amazing. But see, the main issue here that causes such concern is experience. Because experience doesn't automatically mean true belief is the result. Experience does not automatically mean true belief is the result. And so as Jesus performs signs, we need to understand that the signs are not what is significant. It's that they point to what is significant, and that's Jesus. See, if you remember from the last two weeks, we've been looking at signs that Jesus performed. The first was at the wedding of Cana, and Jesus turned water to wine. And in this, in verse 11 of chapter 2, it points us to the main purpose in Jesus doing this. It's that, as verse 11 says, this, the first of his signs, Jesus did at Cana in Galilee and manifested his glory, 
and his disciples believed in him. See, then last week in, in our very wonderful uh, Easter type of text that was actually very important and relevant to our celebration, we looked at where Jesus cleanses the temple. And in verses 18 and 19, we saw a, really a dialogue between the Jews and Jesus where they asked for a sign relating to his action of clearing the temple. And it says in these verses, the Jews said to him, what sign do you show us for doing these things. And Jesus answered them, destroy this temple. And in three days, I will raise it up. And so the first sign was a physical miracle that solved a problem in the following, a physical action that points to a spiritual problem. And these are some of his signs that Jesus was performing. But see, the text doesn't include all the signs. The text that we're looking at this morning doesn't show all of the signs that Jesus was performing. And so most likely, there was probably more that Jesus was doing at this time that we don't know about. And we know this to be true because of what John writes towards the end of his letter in John chapter 20, verse 30, when it says, Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book. And so while Jesus is in Jerusalem at Passover, many people are seeing his signs. They're seeing the miraculous things that he is doing beyond what we have read about so far, and they are believing. And so this type of belief is still belief, but there is no substance. It's empty, and ultimately it's superficial. And so here's what's really hard and difficult in the text that I've already said. It's that not all belief is true saving belief. Not all belief is true saving belief. So what I mean by this is that you can have wonderful experiences of the Christian faith and still not have saving faith. That true faith isn't founded upon expression but upon genuine confession that leads to repentance. And so listen, Jesus knew their hearts and knew that this belief was not true belief. It was not genuinely heartfelt, repentant gospel belief. And so they may have followed him at at one point. They may have said, listen, we want to go where he goes. They, They may have really liked what he was saying. They would have probably taken great hope in his signs and in his miracles, but Jesus knew their hearts. He knew that when things would look different to them, when things would get difficult, they would not be those who were among his true followers. So they were not fully trusting in Christ. And so in this, Christ was not entrusting himself to them. See, we see this in the first part of verse 24 when John writes, but Jesus on his part did not entrust himself to them. Now see, an unsettling question comes up that's really important in the text. And that's, does Jesus not entrust himself to everyone? See, the answer simply to this is no. As we see in the text, there are those that have an appearance of belief, but Jesus does not entrust himself to them. So what this means is that there are those who believe in the name, but they do not trust in him. They believe in the name, but they do not trust in him. They do not fully trust in Christ. 
And that's an important distinction there because trusting in Christ means absolute radical obedience to him. See, this is a very different idea than the belief of what you see or what you feel about and even towards Christ. This means that belief in Jesus means behaviors that are conformed to Jesus. And so let me tell you, that goes a lot farther than just carrying a little bracelet around your wrist with that little cute acronym of WWJD, what would Jesus do in all these situations? But it means he has absolute authority over your entire life. It means he calls the shots. It means he determines what is true of everything in your life. And so let me ask, is this true in your life? Does Jesus have authority over every single area of your life? Does he have authority over your finances? Does he have authority over your relationships, over your sexuality, over your identity, over your political view? Jesus is the ultimate authority. And so these people are believing based on what they're seeing and based on what they're feeling, but it's not true, genuine faith in their hearts. And so this means that regardless of what you see, regardless of what you feel, you are, you are fully devoted to him alone in everything That is what it means to fully trust in Christ. That there is no coexistence in relationship with Jesus. There is Christ and there is Christ alone. And we know that Paul would address this. To live is Christ, to die is gain, right? So who gets to live? Christ in me. And so this is the thing that that all belief that we see isn't always true and genuine saving faith. And so this is the key difference between saving belief and the belief that we see in the text. But see, here's one thing further that I want to uh, address because I think some here may insert this foolish Arminian doctrine that that maybe some believed genuinely and just lost their salvation. Let me tell you, that is not a doctrine I would ever adhere to because what is true of Scripture is if I could lose a gift that the Father gives to me because of my own will and because of my own way, then I would have lost it already a thousand times over. So thank God that gift is not dependent upon me. So listen, because I love you, let me press in with some important pieces that we find in Scripture. See, what you need to understand is that the question in the Bible is never, can you lose your salvation? The question in that never comes up. But rather, what is asked and what is contended for again and again, time after time in the scriptures is the question, have you, been, have you been saved to begin with? Have you been saved to begin with? And so the scriptures are very clear that you can have spiritual experiences and you can have these seasons of your life that you like the idea of Jesus, even passionately you like the idea of Jesus, but still not know him, still not love him, and still not truly follow him. And so we see this in John's pastoral epistle later when he writes to the church in Ephesus in 1 John chapter 2 verse 19. It says, they went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would, not, they would have continued with us. But they went out, that it might become plain that they all are not of us. So let me tell you what the Bible teaches about salvation with 
such clarity is that if you are truly saved, you persevere and you keep on until the end. You bear fruit and you continue to grow in Christ. And where you are not truly converted, where you are not truly saved, you will not persevere. You will not keep on until the end. But listen, I want to be clear on this. I'm not speaking of perfectly. I'm speaking of faithfully. That faithfully you would persevere, not perfectly. And what we find in the book of Jude is this truth that God holds us and he keeps us in the gospel. We see that in Jude verse 24. And so let me tell you, you cannot lose your salvation if you are saved, but you can not be saved and believe that you are. This is the shocking fact in the text that we are looking at. That there are those that believe in Jesus' name, but they do not fully trust in him for saving. And so looking further at the text, Jesus knows this. We see at the end of verse 24 that he knew all people. Now, in this, John is not trying to discourage anyone from belief in Christ. We need to understand that, that this text is not written to discourage anyone from belief in Christ, but to make a distinction between what false belief and true belief is. A distinction between just a surface level, an expression of belief, and true belief that leads to true confession and repentance and relationship. That true belief in Christ alone is John's aim in his writing of this gospel letter. And so here, John is pointing us to the important realization that Jesus can tell the difference. Jesus can tell the difference between fake belief and true belief. And so this is really important. You can, you can come in here and you can fool the church. You can come in here, you can fool the elders You can fool the leaders. You can fool me. Some of you in that are more clever than me in a lot of ways, but you will never fool Jesus. You can fool a lot of people, but you will never fool Jesus. He knows all people. And so listen, we've seen this about Jesus. We even saw a glimpse of this truth back in chapter 1. In verses 47 and 48, when Jesus saw Nathanael coming toward him and he said, Behold, an Israelite indeed in whom there is no deceit. And when Nathanael was surprised that Jesus really knew him, Jesus said, Before Philip called you, when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. Before we met face to face, I saw you. See, what this tells us And what our text today tells us is that Jesus sees us and Jesus knows us. Now, to some of you, that's the most encouraging news ever. To others, that's the most terrifying thing ever. But let me tell you what that means is there's all kinds of things you could do to kind of build up this religious behavior or this kind of lifestyle of a good Christian in this culture. But let me tell you, Jesus knows what is true and what isn't. Jesus sees us And he knows us. See, later in the Gospel of John, Jesus' own words are spoken as an encouragement and really a, a clear revealing to this. Jesus says in John chapter 10, verse 14, I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me. I know my own and my own know me. So listen, Jesus knows us. And we know him. 
This is the result for those that have trusted fully in Christ, that Jesus knows us and we can know him. That Jesus wonderfully promises to entrust himself to those who trust in him. And so understand what what Jesus desires is those who would genuinely confess and believe that he is Lord. See, in verse 25, we see further why we need a genuine confession. Why all belief isn't true belief. It's that Jesus knows what is in man. In verse 25, It says, he, being Jesus, needed no one to bear witness about man, for he himself knew what was in man. Now, see, you and I know a lot about people because of what we hear of them and what we see them doing. But verse 25 makes it clear that Jesus needed no one to bear witness about man. And see, a lot of the time, you and I have this uh, man-made, fallible kind of perspective on humanity, And a lot of that we tend to see through a lens of sin. And so we just kind of have these ideas about people. Some of it is built up around gossip. And so we think we really know somebody. But the text says Jesus truly knows everyone. That he doesn't need to see people's actions or hear the witness of others about their actions. Jesus knows their hearts. He knows what their real motivations, their real intentions and their real longings are in their heart. And see, while we don't know what's truly in the heart of man for you and I, we we don't fully know. There's no guessing for Jesus. Jesus fully knows what is in man. And so what we learn from this account may really be uneasy. But what I'm hoping is that this is kind of an uneasiness that we're willing to deal with. We're willing to feel because the problem in the text that is revealed is that the heart of the problem is the problem of the heart. That the heart of the problem is the problem of the heart. And see, scripture reveals this time and time and time again, that the heart is deceitful and sick and filled with sin. And so a key example of this would be in Jeremiah chapter 17 in verse 9 and 10. It says, the heart is deceitful above all things. And and see, we could just stop right there. It's deceitful above what? All things. That's pretty deceitful, but it keeps going. And it says it's desperately sick. Who can understand it? In verse 10, it says, I, the Lord, search the heart and test the mind to give every man according to his ways, according to the fruit of his deeds. See, the Bible talks a lot about man's heart. In fact, the Bible talks about man's heart almost 300 times. But what we need to understand is we're not talking about the physical heart. We're not talking about the muscular muscular organ that, that pumps blood throughout the body. When we talk about the heart in a biblical sense, it is the spiritual part of us where our emotions and our desires dwell. So listen, Jesus knows fully what's in your heart. Jesus knows fully what your emotions are, what your wants, what your needs, and even what your desires are. So listen, there's no hiding from Jesus. You can hide all you want here, but there is no hiding from Jesus here. And further, see, Jesus knows the condition of man's heart apart from him. 
apart from true saving belief. And so we learned that some may say that they believe in Jesus or they show outward signs of belief, but not all that appears to be belief is belief that saves. And so we can see this in the text because Jesus was not entrusting himself to those whom he knew weren't really believing in him. John says that they were believing in his name, but the idea here is that it was not saving belief. It was belief that he had some kind of authority or some kind of power. That these people were most likely seeing the signs of Jesus. They were seeing his signs that he was performing. Most likely they were seeing the healing of the sick and the casting out of demons. And they were believing that he was someone special. He was someone special, maybe the Messiah. But they were not putting their faith in him alone as their savior. And so see, this is something that we often hear all the time about the church in America. That many come and they feel the the movement of the spirit and they see the beauty of the cross and they hear the message of the gospel. And then they're told to act upon this. What they do is they respond and they choose Jesus. Can I tell you that that is backwards? That is backwards. And this is a difficult thing to deal with. But what we need to understand is that not everyone who prays a prayer for Jesus to come into their heart is saved. Listen, Jesus does not entrust himself to everyone because he knows what is in man. See, the most difficult issue in the American church is the belief that if you pray a prayer, if you pray what is called the sinner's prayer, if you raise your hand and you come forward, if you do these things, you will absolutely be saved. He'll come into your heart and you will be saved. And let me tell you, church, I need you to know, and I'm not just saying this for informing you, but to contend with your biblical discernment. That is a dangerous belief that is nowhere found in the Bible. So if we call ourselves Christians, that doctrine don't fit, okay? Now, what I absolutely believe is that God is a sovereign God, and he alone can save anyone through and out of that. But that practice is not true of the Bible. In fact, what we would find in Scripture in Matthew chapter 7 is the complete opposite. In verses 21 through 23, it says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? And then will I declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. I never knew you. See, there are many that would appear to know him, but do not genuinely confess and believe and know him. And so the question comes up in the longing of our heart, who are those that know him? Who are those that would know him? It's those who genuinely come by the power and the prompting of the Spirit before Christ and confess that they have a great need for their Savior. See, many who claim to follow Jesus are not actually following Jesus. 
I mean, they like the idea of Jesus, but they do not truly believe in Jesus for their eternal life. And the reality is, sometimes what we need to face is is that even could be some of you in this room. And so I want you to understand, Jesus made it clear that he desires fully committed followers that trust in him and him alone, where they are seeking him and they understand the cost of following him. Jesus desires those who would understand that there is no forgiveness without repentance. There is no salvation without surrender. There is no life without death. And there is no belief without truly following Jesus. And so genuine belief, genuine belief is where there is a genuine confession that you are a sinner in need of a savior. See, this is what we examined last week when we looked at Romans chapter 10, verses 9 through 10. When it says, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. Now see, let me just say, both for those that may be new, if this is your first time here this morning, um, which is a, it's a great Sunday, but it's also a hard Sunday for, for it to be a first, but also to those in the room who probably know this by, uh, if you've been around here for any amount of time, I don't have a prayer for you to pray right now. I don't have... Uh, some altar for you to come before physically. I don't have something to say to you while your eyes are closed and you would raise your hand. I have nothing for you. What I need you to understand is this morning, God has something very important and incredible for you. That this morning there is an invitation, not one that I have extended, not one that I can offer, but one that is extended by the God of the universe and him alone. So let me tell you, in this, you have no excuse. That God has extended through the sacrifice of his own son, Jesus on the cross, he has extended an invitation to come to him through Christ that you would believe with a genuine belief and receive salvation by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. And so listen, as we come to a close this morning, what I, what I want to ask you is the question, really, what are you seeking? What are you seeking? Are you seeking signs or are you seeking the Savior? See, if we look back at, at chapter two in our study the last couple of weeks, we see several groups that, that probably would have claimed that they believed, but not all had genuine belief. See, at the beginning of the text, when Jesus performed the signs of, of water to wine, we don't hear about belief from the servants or any others who are around except the disciples. And then further, as Jesus cleanses the temple and the the Jews and the religious leaders begin to question him about his identifying as the temple in his death and resurrection. We see later that only the disciples believe. And then finally, here in these last three verses, we're, we're left with an unresolved belief. And really, Jesus choosing to not entrust himself to these people. 
And what I know to be true is we don't, we don't like unresolved things in our culture. But really, I, I need you to understand my job is never to resolve everything for you, but to contend that you would go to the one that resolves. So listen, there's a, there's a real problem that we see over and over and over again in the text, and that's with sign-seeking. See, there are many different groups that would be all about the revealing of the physical signs, all about these things, and not just of what we see in Jesus, but also of their own revealing of signs. And there's such danger in that. Because not only is it void of Scripture, it is also something that is built upon experience, not upon genuine belief. And so really, the the end of this, what we're brought to is, what are we seeking Are we seeking Jesus for the next experience, for the next thing? This is often how church is played out in the the American arena, is the idea that we just kind of walk in and everything is tuned to our experience. But what the text demands is that true belief is going to demand of you to leave your experience and go on to true saving faith. And so one of the things I would just so encourage you to ask and challenge you to ask is, what are you seeking? See, there's a, there's a hip-hop group that I listen to from time to time of uh, humorously a couple of pastors uh, that, that write lyrics that are wonderfully theologically rich. And uh, in one of the lyrics of one of their songs called Symbols and Signs, they wrote this. I'll give you a sign that's obvious. One of the most supernatural acts is that God through his word has actually revealed everything pertaining to life in godliness. So what are you seeking? Because all that you would seek, God has revealed through his word. So I want to remind you, I have nothing for you. But here God is giving an invitation through his word that you would seek Christ truly that you would believe with a genuine belief and you would come before him and receive salvation by grace alone through faith alone in Christ alone and so as we come to a close this morning that would be my question for you what are you seeking let's pray